Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be doing a head-to-head episode on our favorite summer romance films, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and About Time. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I am all right. I have to get up really early tomorrow morning to catch an early train to Pennsylvania. Very nice. Will and I are going to go to Corey and Cassie's house because Mm -hmm. they're having their mm, extended wedding celebration for oh, all fine. of the extended friends and family and all of that jazz oh, like that weren't at the wedding reception wedding. type yeah thing. like cool. a wider a wide release reception <laughs> if you will <laughs> I love that. that's awesome yeah and so a bunch of my family that i haven't seen in a long time mm-hmm. are coming down they're coming to town for that and so will will be meeting them for the first time oh that's and so fun so he's gonna meet all of my Massachusetts family for the first time. Okay. And I think it's going to be really fun. <laughs> a, because they're really fun people, mm-hmm. but B, because Will loves a Boston accent and oh. he's going to love them. <laughs> Does he like to do a Boston accent? Does he have a really good Boston imitation accent? No, he can't grasp the difference between an Australian accent and a Boston accent. Like, he insists Nicole Kidman sounds like she's from Boston, and I'm like, you simply don't know what you're talking about. And he insists that they're similar, and I'm like, I know why you're saying that, but it couldn't be more incorrect. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. I know. He also has trouble recognizing people's ages. (laughs) Like, we'll be watching... Shows or movies frequently, and he'll be like, you know, the the guy and his wife, and I'll be like, you mean the guy and his daughter? What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, well, that is a lot. Yeah. Oh my god. Here's an example. This just happened the other day. <laughs> he was watching Extraction Two on Netflix. Are okay. you familiar with that franchise? I'm not. It's like um. Chris Hemsworth action franchise. Oh, okay. And there was... This is so stupid, but, like, he has action agency colleagues or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there was, like, two of them, and and I hadn't watched the first movie or, like, the first 40 minutes of the sequel Mm -hmm. that Will was watching. And so... He was explaining to me who the people on the team were. Uh And he's like, so he's got, you know, his boss and then his boss's son. And I'm looking at the boss's son and he looks the exact same age as the boss. And I'm like, I don't think that's her son. (laughs) Incredible. I think they were like brother and sister or they had some relationship. But there was no fucking way that that was her son. Incredible. Uh, Amazing. Did I ever tell you about my Midnight Mass age-related comment that I made? Because in Midnight Mass, that really old lady ages backward. And I, like, hadn't, like, consolidated what she looked like when she was really old. But, like, the younger she got, I was like, they did a terrible job casting this person. She looks, like, 30. (laughs) And then I was like... Oh, she's aging in reverse, and I understand now, but, like, I thought it was just terrible casting. I do remember this, yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll report back about how the family reunion goes. Yes. Yeah, Hopefully that it's sounds fun. awesome. Will's a hoot. I'm sure they're gonna love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a, he's a big hit with my I immediate family, yeah. so I think everyone else will <laughs> like him, too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I was just having a conversation with my friend who just went to a wedding in um, Portland. And she was like, did I tell you that my partner was a surprise groomsman in this wedding? And I was like, a surprise groomsman. Surprise to whom? To him. A surprise to him. (laughs) And 
Uh, so apparently they arrived and then one of the other groomsmen in the wedding party was like, yeah, are you coming to brunch tomorrow? And uh, her partner was like, no, I'm not a groomsman. And they were like, well, you were on this email. You're definitely a groomsman. And they have like 16 groomsmen and 16 bridesmaids. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, and just That's he, insane. the groom never like formally asked any of the groomsmen to be groomsmen. He just sent them all text messages he that just said, CC'd will them. you get ready with me on the day? <laughs> and like, wow. that was like the groomsmen question. I don't know. Anyways. So it was like a whole fiasco. And my friend just got to like go sit at a coffee shop and read her book all day and like live her best life. So hmm. I was, I was glad for her. I'm so displeased with that person. <laughs> uh, just, wow. Just Is it a, a lack of, a, a lack of awareness or a fear of intimacy? I can't figure so it out. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But apparently for their wedding at all of like the place settings, there were like these very heartfelt cards that the like groom would write to his friends and the bride wrote to her friends and things like that mm-hmm, on every mm-hmm. place setting. And it was, like, these long, like, heartfelt, lovely messages from the groom. And the bride, like, was really kind of, like, short and, like, thank you so much for being here, like, and all your help and stuff. And so I was, like, well, it's definitely not a fear of intimacy then. (laughs) Because he can, like, write a long, heartfelt letter. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he just, like, thought it was obvious or something. I don't know. Lack of awareness for sure. Lack of awareness. Okay, well, we settled it. Yeah. Case closed. Wild. <laughs> Absolutely wild. And then the bride was, like, super type A and, like, sent out these, like, huge emails to, like, 40 people. So it's, like, mm-hmm. wow. I can't imagine being type A and having 16 bridesmaids. Why? Why do you why? hate yourself like that? <laughs> Who has that many close friends? I feel like... I don't know. Five. People that are lying to themselves. Yeah, I guess. I hope these people don't hear this I don't think so. <laughs> We're fine. They don't know me. Summer is the time of romance and the time Summer's of weddings. Summer is the time of romance. It definitely is wedding season. Mm-hmm. I've been to one already. That's that's uh, about as many as I'll tolerate in a year. <laughs> I have been to zero. <laughs> I was supposed to go to one and then I had to cancel. But oh, right. It was a real bummer. Yeah. Do you do you like going to weddings? I don't know. I haven't been to very many. Uh, mm-hmm. I always cry at them, regardless of if I know the people well or not. Like, anytime anyone's doing vows and exchanging, like, intimate, lovely words, I'm always, like, sobbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unclear why. Yeah. I think it's something about the energy in the room. Like, I think I'm, like, picking up on, like, high emotion, and then I start crying, so... It's a good experience. It's cathartic. All right. Well, that's good. I don't mm. care for them. <laughs> so, wedding season, summer wedding of romance. Season. We've summer. got two <laughs> summer. No, summer of romance. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> I know. In the intro, you said this was our summer romance double feature, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't make my pick particularly summery." Oh, that's okay. Just. Picks that you would watch in the summer, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but so today we're going to be talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire and about time and finding our real cool overlaps in our friend diagram. So mm-hmm. I'm kicking it off for the romance category of this double feature series. I selected the 2019 film Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was written and directed by Celine Siama. And stars uh, Nomi Merlin and Adele Anel. Apologies for <laughs> all pronunciation. I was texting Kat yesterday while I was watching or re-watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I was like, wow, I really fucked myself on pronunciation this week. <laughs> Good job to me. Uh, but we're going to do our best because <laughs> this is a- an amazing, incredible film. And when you said you wanted to do romance as one of our double feature genres this summer, I was like, oh, interesting. And because it was specifically 
not required to be a rom-com. And so there is another circle in the Venn diagram of romantic films that are just like serious romances, not exactly rom-coms. And that's like where I dwell typically. And so like a few things came to mind and I decided that Portrait of a Lady on Fire definitely deserved the spotlight. Not that it doesn't get a lot of recognition because it's obviously a fantastic film and people have really readily recognized that, which is wonderful. But when I think of romance, I mean, this is like the most romantic film ever, both in terms of plot and story, but just Mm -hmm. visually, wow. Yeah. Intense. And so, let's see. So this was your first viewing of the film, correct? Did Mm -hmm. you just watch it today? I just finished it like uh, (laughs) a half hour ago. I had a happy hour in in the middle of the in the middle of the film so I stopped like uh I don't know with 30 minutes left and I had about 30 minutes left to finish before we recorded tonight so Mm -hmm. um incredible I loved it um I've mentioned to Remy before but I'm not sure if I brought it up on the podcast that I took French in high school and have been wanting to like brush up on my French basics. So this is like a great film that I plan to come back to, to like brush up on kind of dialogue, conversational French. Yeah, definitely. Like Kat alluded to, this is a French language film. And the basic synopsis is that uh, Marianne, she is an artist and she is brought to an island in order to fulfill a commission to paint the portrait of a woman uh, without her knowledge. So her mission is to observe this woman, the subject of the painting, and paint her portrait from memory because this portrait is going to be sent to the woman's future husband. And if he likes the portrait, he'll go forward with this arranged marriage. And the woman, uh, Eloise, she knows that this is the arrangement, and so she's evaded the last artist that came to the island to paint her portrait because she's trying to delay this marriage for as long as possible. And so Marianne, she arrives on the island, and the ploy set up by Eloise's mother is that Marianne is just there as like a walking companion because Eloise's sister has recently died and she's been confined to this uh, estate on this very strikingly beautiful island with these rocky cliffs and sandy shorelines and windswept vistas. Mm -hmm. And so we are watching Marianne as she arrives and sets up this kind of secret mission and begins to observe her subject, Eloise, and capture different elements of her and commit them to memory, like the shape of her ear. And I think it's it's a great setup mm-hmm. for a romance because there is a hidden tension from the outset between the two main characters You have someone who's keeping a secret, which is always a recipe for tension later on. And you have another character that is inherently withdrawn in a way and unknowable at the beginning because it's part of her nature to be evasive uh, based on the things that has happened to her. And so you watch these two characters go on the walks like is part of the the ploy and watch each other and observe each other and slowly start to interact and open up and learn more and more about each other. And the entire film, but especially in that beginning part where there's lots of walks along the cliffs and beaches, like right away, you understand that you are watching an absolute visual feast. This film is so visually striking. Mm -hmm. The lighting is immaculate 
in every single frame. The shot composition by Claire Mathon is impeccable. Every frame is gorgeous. There is beautifully rich use of color and just a perfect employment of a naturally striking setting and striking actors all working in concert together to construct the story and construct this feeling of intense emotion and fluid dynamics between these characters. And it is obviously blocked with such care for the viewer Mm -hmm. and the camera that it just, I can't imagine the amount of attention to detail and planning that Celine Siama went through to craft this film. But I, I'm so glad that, that she and Claire Mathon are getting the recognition for it because it's, it's just immaculate. Like everything about it is perfection. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Another thing that complements all of those visuals is the costume design. It's wonderful. Like, this is set in the 18th century, I believe. So there's a lot of, obviously, old-fashioned clothing. And people repeat outfits a lot. And they have their, like, signature outfit and their signature color that they're typically wearing. Mm -hmm. But the way these clothes also interact with the environment, like the wind and the water and the sand and the cliffs and the way you can hear the clothes moving when you are Mm -hmm. inside in a quiet art studio it just really adds something to the experience it's an incredible level of intimacy that in all of these scenes you can hear people's clothes moving and you can hear them breathing you can hear their footsteps you can hear boards creaking and you can hear the wind and moving Eloise's walking cloak that's my favorite piece of the entire film her walking cloak is incredible (laughs) it's amazing um dorothy garo she did the costume so shouts to her for finding that cloak wow it's stunning yeah um but like i said you can hear all of that really nuanced intimate soundscape of the film Because there really isn't a score. I don't know if I noticed that the first time I watched this film. I don't remember when I first watched it. Unfortunately, it wasn't in theaters because this was the next film on my list to go see at the cinema when the pandemic started. And so that never happened. But man, could you imagine seeing this on a big screen? It's got to be incredibly arresting mm-hmm. maybe one day i'll be able to see like that last scene i think would be amazing oh in God. a theater like oh, because of the intense it. like music it's, in that last scene yeah and like just yeah imagine it like filling a screen just gorgeous yeah Ugh, all of it mm-hmm. especially the beach everything on the beach i just want to see as big as possible <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you have like a big home theater someday and you can Ooh, that's just like have a big old screen and like a I know, projector. Both Will or and I really want to do that. That would be so, so cool. It's at the top of the list. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was like an extremely interesting choice not to have a score for mm-hmm. this film because when you think of a huge sweeping romance you think of like a big building score like um like soaring strings and all of that like romantic type of thing, piano, you know, the romance instruments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this totally doesn't depend on music whatsoever. Yeah. Like it has a few diegetic pieces of music which are employed with meaning to great effect. Mm-hmm. And they're clearly well thought out. And I like, I think they're applied wonderfully. But I just think it is such a confident move to be like, I don't need the score. I'm going to rip your heart out without it. Yeah. And also, I think that you're absolutely right with what you're saying about all of these intimate sounds um, Mm -hmm. that you get without the score, right? Because not having a score doesn't cover up all Mm -hmm. of that additional sound. 
And that's something that I really liked about this film because I am very aware of when scoring is intentionally used and intentionally not used. And that was one of my first things that I like clocked about this film. And I loved, I was so excited about it Yeah, Um, because I noticed like all of these really quiet, lovely moments of just like looking at one another. And I was like, I'm like goosebumps everywhere throughout the whole film. Loved it. Right. And I think it also goes hand in hand with something that you brought up earlier, which is that this film is amazingly paced, not just in the dialogue, but in all of like the scene transitions as well. Yeah. In that you have so much time to think over what you're looking at, Mm -hmm. what you were just looking at before, how those things relate, how the dialogue relates, what is the subtext of what people are saying. And there, the subtext in this film. So the subtext good. is so good. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, good. You know, I'm obsessed with yeah. excellently executed subtext. Mm-hmm. This is a masterclass. Yeah. And it wouldn't work if you don't have the time to think about it, if you don't have the time to think it over. Mm-hmm. And those like long lapses of just diegetic sound in between scenes where there's no filler with score. You can think about all of that. You can look at into a person's eyes and be like, oh, I think they're thinking this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's something you can teach. I don't know anything about <laughs> teaching film, but I just think Celine Siama, she uh, truly understands pacing. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, a masterclass in how to have thoughtful pacing where people are engaged and understanding exactly what's going on and the camera is lingering too with that pacing like the final scene goes on for just like it's like the same shot and you're kind of like just focused on a single person and you're watching them react to something that's happening and i love it it is the most beautiful scene And it goes on for such a long time, but you're just like watching emotion, like morphing on this person's face. And it's the most beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. I fucking love that final shot. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's a static shot. I believe Mm -hmm. there might be some slow zoom on it. I don't remember, but I think it's mostly static. Yeah. You're just locked in on Adele Hanel's character, Eloise. And you're right. You... You're just watching her take in the symphony, mm-hmm. which has such deep meaning and that you can readily recognize has deep meaning because there's only two other songs that happen <laughs> in the film. And this yeah. is one of them from a very important, intimate moment. And her acting, that was actually going to be my next topic anyway, is how great the acting mm-hmm. in this film is, both by Nome Marla and Adele Hanel. Incredible. They're both, they're both like perfection. And I suspect if you're like a native French speaker, you're probably even more blown away by, Mm -hmm. by their acting because the dialogue is so purposeful Mm -hmm. and well paced and well delivered. They just do such a good job and they're so, they're so well matched because their performances are both so internal, but obviously intense. And it's just uh, great acting. And so, yeah, I mean, all of these things are working together to create a really, like, thematically coherent film as well. Like, it's not just that they put thought into how everything looks and how everything sounds and pick the perfect performers. The construction of the story is, like, really thematically rich in that... You're constantly revolving around central themes of seeing, observing, and remembering Mm -hmm. a subject, namely a lover, and the different ways that all of these two characters' actions are always that, like, either observing or remembering this love. Mm -hmm. Um, The construction of the story, in essence, is actually like a recollection of this time from Nome Marlant's point of view or from Marianne's point of view she's recollecting this romance years later which is part of what makes it so crushing and 
I just, I loved how everything just tied into that theme. Like the fact that Marianne is an artist and paints portraits for a living and how they constantly return to the myth of Orpheus Mm -hmm. and just how one of the really key inflection point scenes in the movie, I think it's my favorite one. It's tied with the ending, but there's a scene towards the middle where, uh, Eloise has agreed to sit to be painted because, um, Marianne has confessed that she's there to do the painting and to make the wedding proceed and all of that, and that she was deceitful. deceitful. And in order to keep her there longer, Eloise agrees to sit for the portrait. And so that allows them to have the scene where we're watching Marianne work on the portrait and we see a really interesting scene where uh, Marianne is talking about how basically she feels bad for Eloise, you know, like having to pose there. But the subtext is that she feels bad for her situation in general. And mm-hmm. she like gives three examples of Eloise's mannerisms that she has like memorized because she's been observing and watching her so closely. And she's, like, trying to establish, like, oh, I I know you, I see you, I know this, this, and this. And then Eloise turns the tables and is like, oh, yeah? Well, when you're wa- standing there watching me, what do you think I'm watching? And she lists three equally, like, intimate observations about Marianne. And it's a perfect scene because it's obviously a commentary on the watcher and the watchee, but it completely shows how these two people are evenly matched Mm -hmm. and equally balanced. And they both, there's not a power imbalance, even though we can see that there is some sort of dynamic between them. Um, But you see that they both have incredible strength and that that strength evens out on an equal plane. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked that there wasn't, um, like a clear off balance between them. And I think that scene captures that really well. And I also, I just really love the way they portray Marianne's dedication to her craft. She clearly takes painting very seriously and is very knowledgeable and very skilled, but also just simply very dedicated. You see it from the opening scene. Well, from the second scene, rather, when she is being rowed to the island in a boat and her canvases go Mm -hmm. overboard and she immediately jumps out of the boat to get them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, I mean, that's just what she does. It's her work. And she has all of these strategies for trying to get her work distributed and recognized, even though she's a woman and she's not supposed to be painting certain subjects or allowed to display her work in certain galleries and all of that. And I just really liked her commitment to her craft. And I think it was really interesting how in the film she does at first successfully paint a portrait solely from memory, from like stolen glances and stolen information of Eloise without her knowledge. And that original portrait, it's interesting because when Eloise first sees it, she doesn't really recognize herself. She like asks like, is this of me? And I think we're meant to interpret that she doesn't recognize herself because the style of the portrait is so soft and romantic and not at all capturing like the intensity Mm -hmm. and the simmering anger and the harsh energy that Eloise has in person. And when we see the eventual second portrait, it captures her likeness much better Mm -hmm. in a style that's much more suitable to her energy. And I like seeing that progression from that first like soft conventional uh, type of portrait because um, Marianne like tries to defend it. Like there are rules and conventions you have to follow but that's clearly like not something that Eloise is interested in. Like 
her character at its core is a rejection of convention Mm -hmm. because using a conventional lens results in a distortion of the self. Mm -hmm. And she's not interested in having herself or her personality distorted in that way, Mm -hmm. even when she's confined by rules of society. And so I just think it's, it's a beautifully crafted narrative with well-executed themes. And I love how it all culminates in an emotionally devastating ending. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it's particularly devastating because it ends with like a combination of three major emotional hits. So the first big hit is when Marianne is leaving the island finally. Her commission is fulfilled and Eloise now has to go be married and she's in her wedding dress and Marianne is leaving the house and about to walk out the front door and Eloise tells her to turn, um, which harkens back to their discussion of Orpheus and why he turned around. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with like the relationship of uh, memory of love mm-hmm. and she Marianne turns around and sees her and then the door shuts and the lights fade like the the visions that she'd been seeing previously so we finally see that vision fulfilled in real life mm-hmm. and it's obviously very um, devastating and then we see with the help of a voiceover I believe um, years pass and Marianne is in a, a gallery where she's displaying some of her work, but she also happens to see a new portrait of Eloise and her child. And in that portrait, you can see uh, in her hand, she holds mm-hmm. the book at the page um, that is like significant from an earlier scene. And I absolutely love that part. That's yeah. like, the second hit, God, that's so good. And it's Just, so in character, too, of, like, mm-hmm. defying that convention and, like, mm-hmm. kind of saying, fuck you. And putting out that secret message forever. Yeah. I love that. I love it. It's amazing. What a detail. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third the third hit is when Marianne sees Eloise at the symphony and observes her taking in the piece that Marianne played for her on the piano mm-hmm. slash other instrument years and years ago when they first were like actually kind of warming up to each other. It was like one of their first really warm interactions. And I suspect it is the unconfirmed like first time when Eloise wanted to kiss Marianne, mm-hmm. which Marianne asks her earlier, but I don't think she ever gives an answer. And I think that's the actual mm-hmm. answer. And I think that's why one of the reasons why she has such an emotional response, like you described, unfolding on her face over that very long held shot. And the acting in that scene is stunning. Mm-hmm. It's impossible not to cry during it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just brilliant. It's, and you're ending on this huge musical climax in a film that has had basically no music and this huge emotional climax. And it's this third hit in this heartbreaking sequence of events that is both sentimental and that you love that both these people clearly cherished what they had and they remember it and they'll never forget it. It'll be in that painting forever. It'll be there every time they hear that song. It'll, it'll be woven into their lives as long as they have memory. Mm-hmm. And it's just a poetic way to end a sad story in a way that still makes you feel happy yeah. and sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's so deft and profound. And I could watch it a hundred times. I love it. Yeah, it was a very impressive. I mean, story-wise and cinematically, like it was just a lovely film to watch. Like, I know. What a film amazing anyway that's all i had what um i know like it's fresh it's still a fresh experience for you but 
um, overall, it sounds like you really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find it emotionally impactful as well? I did. I mean, I wish I wasn't like cramming. I like saved it to the last minute and I wish I'd had more time to like digest and everything. But um, one of my favorite moments is I love that you described it as like them observing each other because that is exactly what's going on. And one of my favorite moments is when they are, I think they're on the beach and there's this perfectly timed head movement where it's like, I was just looking at you and then I turned my head away really quickly as she was Mm -hmm. turning her head to look at her. And Mm -hmm. it is like, I don't know. There was just something about it where I was like, that's exactly what it's like when you've like got a crush on someone or you're like trying to like suss someone out and you like don't want them to catch you looking at them. It's incredible. So good. Um, And I just, there was like some really great dialogue and I would love to look at like the physical transcript of the dialogue, because I'm curious if um, like certain technical things change with the language that they refer to each other with. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I was kind of surprised. This is like a technical French thing, but I was kind of surprised at the use of like a formal um, vous tense um, instead of tu. So tu is how you would address somebody if they're like a peer and Mm -hmm. Vu is like how you would address somebody like professionally or above you. And I'm curious if that changes as they like know each other better. Um, mm-hmm. But I wasn't able to like pay as close of attention to that as I wanted to. But mm-hmm. I think that there might be some like subtle language details in there to pick up on that I'd be interested to look at more. Yeah, I wonder too, because there's clearly like... um a class imbalance between the two of them because Eloise is in this arranged marriage situation because she's in a high social station. Mm -hmm. And she, even though she like lives in this like amazing coastal mansion, she still is very envious of Marianne because Marianne has all this freedom to pursue her career that she loves and her craft that she loves and can travel and, doesn't have to worry about getting married and has mm-hmm. never had to think about a lot of the the like inevitable type of obligations that Eloise is socially tied to. Yeah. And so there's differences between them mm-hmm. in that way, but in the end they kind of balance out. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder how that's expressed in the language. And then I just really liked one line like stuck out to me there's this conflict that happens where um I just think it's one of the best scenes in the film where their time is kind of coming to an end and the mother comes back the next day and Mm -hmm. it's like the end of this like really beautiful time that they've spent together and Eloise says something along the lines of now that you possess a part of me like you think that you can hold a grudge about what's happening and like you blame me because I have to get married. Mm -hmm. And she says something along the lines of, um, I thought that you were braver and I thought that you would be able to like, tell me how you feel. And she says, say what burdens your heart. And I just thought that that was like such a beautiful line. I just, I don't know. It just like stuck with me. Mm Mm-hmm as I was like watching the rest of it and yeah, the acting in that scene is incredible, but yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you suggested that for this double feature because I have not gotten around to watching it in the last like three years or so. And it's a real shame. I'm glad you saw it now though. Yeah. Um, what a film. Amazing. Um, and that's streaming on Hulu if people are interested and would like to watch it. Um, my pick for this week is About Time, which is a 2013 film, uh, directed by Richard Curtis. Um, and it stars Domhnall Gleeson and Rachel McAdams and Bill Nighy. And I love this film. Every time (laughs) I watch it, I have the thought of like, wow, this is like, nearly a perfect film honestly I just love it 
it's not as impressive in terms of like cinematic quality necessarily. Like it's not a very like artistic film, but in terms of films that like lots of people have seen and is like more of like a film directed at a general audience, I think that this film is just perfect. So the basic premise of the film is that our main character is Tim and he's played by Domhnall Gleeson and he turns 21 and at age 21 his dad comes and has a conversation with him and tells him that he and all of the men in their family have the ability to travel in time and uh, basically they have this conversation and it's this really cute interaction where Tim doesn't believe that his <laughs> he thinks his dad's playing a joke on him. And he's like, if I go stand upstairs in a closet and try to travel in time and then I come back down, you're going to be so in so much trouble. And it turns out it's true. Uh, he can travel through time. So specifically by going into like an enclosed dark space. space. Yeah, yeah, a dark uh-huh. enclosed space and focusing on where in time he wants to go. And the conditions of this time travel is that he can only go places where he remembers having been, right? So, like, he can't go back to World War II and kill Hitler or something. Like, he has to specifically go to places and times in his life. And um, so, as a 21-year-old man, when asked what his goals for using this time travel to do or like what he wants to do with his time travel ability he says i would like to, i would like to use this to help me get a girlfriend and mm-hmm. so um he kind of uses his time traveling to perfect this relationship with a woman named mary and we kind of see him like alter the course of their relationship through different decision points um throughout and we kind of watch this film and we follow him over the course of many years over the course of this relationship with his partner but also how he uses his time travel in relationship to his family as well and Mm -hmm. while this is like a romance in like the traditional sense and kind of like a rom-com type movie i would say that the main focus and the most hard-hitting moments of this film are family-based and specifically like relation the relationship with his sister and the relationship with his dad are, yeah, I agree. Um, where you're seeing like a lot of this love and I don't know. It's just like such a beautiful movie about family. And I like when I think about this film without having just seen it, I'm like, yeah, this is like a romance movie, of course. But then when I watched it, uh, I watched it at 5 a.m. this morning again. <laughs> and uh, so I started my day with a real good cry. Um, like we just get to see such a lovely family and uh, Tim's interactions with each of his like important people. Yeah. When I think of this movie, I, I think of Bill Nye. He broke oh, yeah. my heart. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So, I mean, it's a very simple plot. I mean, he gets the girl, they live a happy life, they get married and we kind of just see their lives play out from there. And there are like multiple kind of important moments in the film, namely that there are all of these conditions with the time travel once you start having a family. So once he starts having children, if he goes back past the birth, the like child is a different child. And so um, there are these major sources of conflict for Tim where he might want to go back and change something for one of his loved ones, like his sister or his father, Mm -hmm. but he can't because he can't go back past the birth of his children. And so every new child that he has is like a major inflection point in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, just wonderful film. Um, I would say that my favorite aspects of the, in in terms of like my favorite parts of this film, um, it's just very, very wholesome. I love 
all of the interactions that you get to see between Tim and his family. We have some really nice interactions with Uncle Desmond as well, who's just kind Dude, of this Uncle like Desmond. goofy <laughs> guy. So sweet. He's so sweet. Um, and namely, a lot of this like wholesome energy is coming from Bill Nighy's character. Yeah. Um, who's just this wonderful father figure. Um, I want Bill Nighy to be my dad so badly. I know. He's so funny. In the so first funny. 10 minutes of the film. He's so funny. My favorite line in the whole movie is when he's explaining this to Tim. And he's, like, trying to figure out how to start the conversation. And he says, get ready for spooky time. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that line all the time. It's just, like, playing on a loop in my head he's right now. so funny. Amazing. Uh, that's going to be, like, my spooky season quote. Like, get ready for spooky time. <laughs> um... And so he's hilarious. He's very wise throughout the film. Like, you get these, like, very knowing looks of, like, every time Tim goes back in time, you can kind of see his dad react in a way where he knows that uh, his son has gone back in time. And that's why weird shit's happening. (laughs) Um, It's incredible. He doesn't even need to use words to express that. Mm -hmm. Um And also, he has all of this, like, really good advice about, like, using the time travel. And also, he has this wisdom to let Tim make his own mistakes with the time travel Mm -hmm. and doesn't tell him how to use it, right? And then, obviously, Bill Nighy has some, like, really heart-wrenching and heartbreaking plot points throughout the film. So, one of my favorite moments where Bill Nighy makes me cry is... The wedding speech. Oh, where my God. He, he's like, his son got married to um, Rachel McAdams' character, Mary. And he gives the best man speech. And at the end, he's like, I, I don't know. I really wish that I'd said I love you in the speech to his son. And... His son's like, oh, no, don't, like, worry about it. Like, you don't have to, like, go back in time and do the speech differently. But he does anyway. And he says that uh, he has only loved three men in his life. And one is, like, an actor. And then the other Mm -hmm. one's Uncle Desmond. And then the third one's his son. And um, it comes back later when uh, we find out that Bill Nighy's character has cancer. And we speak with Uncle Desmond shortly, and he says, um, I really loved, or or it might have been at the funeral, but he says, like, um, something about how Bill Nighy's character said that he loved him and how that was the best day of his life. And it's just, like, fucking hits so hard, and it's so sad. And it's just, like, I cry through, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie every time. Just, like, ugly sobs. Yeah. Um, And then, like, at the end of his life, we, like, see all of these, like, moments where uh, Tim is, like, trying to go back and, like, soak up all of this, like, time with his dad through time Mm -hmm. travel. And we get these, like, very sweet, intimate moments. It makes me cry just thinking about it. It's so well done. Um, and they play ping pong, and Bill Nighy still makes you laugh while you're crying. I know. <laughs> They're playing ping pong, and <laughs> it's just so sweet. But then they get to do that, like, walk on the beach as yeah. kids. Oh, so good. Fuck? Anyways, <laughs> it's like a perfect, it's a perfect ending. It's lovely. It's amazing. And then, like, the last source of conflict is, like, Tim deciding to, like, stop going back to see his dad because his wife wants to have another kid. And he needs to, like, live in the now and leave the past in the past. Right. And um, we see so much growth from Tim throughout the film. Like, we see him acting like a 21-year-old who's, like, (laughs) trying to get the girl and, like, trying to be perfect and... uh, really impressive and so he'll do something silly or like knock over a drink or a table or something and then go back in time and not do that and mm-hmm. so we get to see him like do all these silly insignificant type things but then 
he grows to just accept life the way that it happens. And he doesn't travel back in time anymore. And he doesn't try to change anything. And I love that we get to see that growth from him. And that he just naturally stops meddling in his own life's course. And I like that. I think that's Mm -hmm. great. But it's so sad and so good and sweet. And man, it's just one of the movies that makes me cry the most. But I really think that it's, I don't know, one of the closest like rom-com type movies that I've ever seen. That's like a perfect movie. Like, I rate this five stars. I love this Mm -hmm. film. No flaws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the way I think it ends on a message that I think is like advice that Tim got from his dad, where the best way to make use of their powers is not to like go back to change anything, but to live your life every day Mm -hmm. and then go back and live that day a second time Mm -hmm. so that you can actually really appreciate all of the good things that are happening Mm -hmm. and appreciate the time with your family and appreciate the small things about life that are good Mm -hmm. and, you know, not be focused on fixing things, but be focused on appreciating the good things that can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. And I really like that they ended on that message that, you know, time travel can't fix anything, but mm-hmm. anyone can appreciate what they have yeah. if you, if you like, put your mind to it. If you, like, have the intent mm-hmm. to appreciate life. Yeah. 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 It's just a lovely film. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite character? Oh, Bill Nighy. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Dad. A close That's second. That's just his name. Dad. Just dad. I know. I saw that on IMDb. Yeah. I mean, I love Kit Kat, too. Like, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Very close second for me is Harry, the playwright that he lives with. Oh, fucking Harry's wild. (laughs) Harry rules. Oh, yeah. I Uh, forget what he says at the the funeral, but he says, like, it's a hateful day or something, and I loved mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, he's funny. He's like... I love when he meets uh, Tim for the first time and he's like, I never really liked your dad. There's something weird about him. (laughs) Yeah, Harry's good. Jay's funny. Mm -hmm. Wild man. I love the the lawyer that he works with. I forget his name, but... uh, Rory. Rory, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I like his mom as well. She has some good... Yeah. That's like really thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was a very, like, dignified character. I liked her a lot. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I love her initial conversations with um, Mary Mm -hmm. and, like, when they're having tea on the beach and she's talking about uh, just their family and they're getting to know each other. I like that scene a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The mom's funny. What a nice little family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious what happens when his sons turn 21, if he'll tell them. Does he have sons? I think... It's hard to tell. They don't draw attention to it. I seem to remember two daughters. Oh, maybe there were two daughters. But I also didn't really refresh. Mm, Didn't have time for a refresher watch. I know one of them is definitely a daughter. Yeah, for sure. And then there's like a switcheroo. That happens the first time yeah, that he goes back too like far. Mix around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This casting list is not helpful. <laughs> one of them's Posey. Yeah, Posey. Oh, and then I see there's a one named Jeff. <laughs> Probably a boy. <laughs> if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Okay, then, yeah. Jeff, Jeff is next. Yeah. I think they end up having three. Kids, yeah, I think I see one named Joe, but it's spelled like the girl's version. Just just J-O. I like it. I was glad I got to revisit it. It was fun. Yeah. That's my favorite character. Girl, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is my daughter, Jeff. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but yeah, 
Initially, when I was watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I was like, I don't know what kind of overlaps we're going to have here. This is going to be difficult. But I think I came up with a couple. So Uh, Yeah, I definitely have a couple. Are you ready for the Mm -hmm. friend diagram? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll take the easy one. (laughs) (laughs) One thing both of these films have in common is... uh, Long walks on the beach next to your beachside estate. (laughs) Yes, that's a good one. I didn't even pick up on that one. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Rocky, rocky shoreline walks. Mm -hmm. God, their house in about time. Beautiful. Yeah. Fuck. Mm -hmm. Holy shit, that house is nice. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Would die to live there. I would die to have tea on the beach. That sounds amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) That place is incredible. Yeah. Um... The first one that came to mind for me is that both of these films have deception at the start of the relationship. Mm. Um, so in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, there's this deception of, oh, um, I'm your beach companion and I'm yeah. going to vibe out with you, but also I'm painting you so that your husband knows what you look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in About Time there is kind of a manipulation of time in order to um, be able to have this meeting with Mary. So initially he meets her in a normal situation, but then he goes, she, he gets her, he gets her number in just a normal, natural fashion. And Mm -hmm. then he goes back in time prior to that meeting and loses her number and then he like has to go through all of this like dumb shit to like she's like this person is such a creep for a while Mm -hmm. but then he like just keeps going back and like doing it over again Mm -hmm. and so there's just like this kind of deceptive and artificial start to their relationship which feels Mm -hmm. kind of weird because he tried to meddle he kind of messed it up for himself and now he was just like trying to get back to that point so Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good that's a good one initial deception Mm -hmm. um this one's a little bit looser but i think that they both deal with traveling back to places and times that stick with you Mm -hmm. in memory obviously in about time that's like the device for time travel is he has to remember it to go back to it Mm -hmm. but the entire film of portrait of a lady on fire on fire is traveling back in time to marianne's memory of these events yeah and uh, you kind of end up in the same place with both of those films where i think um to me the takeaway from both of them is that you should cherish those memories that you have and cherish the time that you have with people you love while you have it Mm -hmm. um even when it eventually slips away. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but my overlap is very similar to that, where I said that it ends with leaving the past in the past by choice. So mm-hmm. they choose to, mm-hmm. in in terms of like the Orpheus um, yeah. uh, subtext, I guess, um, parallels is kind of what I'm trying to say where she says turn around and that's like their last moment and it goes back to that conversation of like maybe Eurydice intentionally told him to turn around so that he could remember her the way Mm -hmm. that she is and um so it's like a choice to leave that relationship and it's also a choice to um stop going back in time to change things or relive things and um, sees the moments that you have. And it's also an intentional choice to, um, like have another child and know that that other child means that you won't ever be able to go back and see your dad again or change anything prior to that point. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of my interpretation of the same general idea. Mm -hmm. Did you have any other ones? I had one more. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I cry no matter what every time I watch them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's just a straight-up no-hitter. Like, you're yeah. always going to cry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really enjoyed that pairing. 
And then I guess our last order of business is discussing our picks for our next summer movie club movie, movie pairing. Mm-hmm. And so the theme for our next uh, head-to-head episode will be popcorn movies. So summer popcorn films. And um, do you want to say your pick first or should I go first? I can go first. Okay. <laughs> My pick... First summer popcorn movie is the 1990 film Tremors, Very starring nice. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> oh, I always forget that he's that. I've never seen that film, so another watch that I've never seen. I cannot wait for you to watch this film. Um, I think I'm going to love it. And my pick is the 1996 film Twister, Woo! which I'm very excited about. Getting the crew back together. I cannot wait to watch this crew operate. Yeah. Oh my god. What a so team. exciting. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at friendiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.